Hi, I'm Tyra G, your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yeah, you. Fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of purpose and possibilities. Every week we meet here for one hour to experience, engage, encourage, empower each other through our joy and our lessons learned. We share topics that tradition tells us there are some things you just don't talk about. But not here. Judgment can't come in. We look beyond the wreckage. And every week, we start right where we are. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast worldwide every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Yeah, I get it. I know. It's date night. Yeah. That's okay. Should you miss us, all you have to do is go to YouTube. Key in Tyra at TyraGarlington.com for an email or to listen to the show. Go to YouTube and key in Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. I'll look for you there. Thank you, Courtney Nero, for all that you've done by composing and performing our theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. You are awesome. Well, it's spring. It's April. You know what that means. The days get longer. The weather's warmer. And thanks to the dance of the sun and the earth, we have the soundtrack of the solar system that makes us feel like rebirth, rejuvenation, renewal, and resurrection. The thing that we need to remember is that we live in a process. Something happened before spring, and something happened after spring. Frankly Speaking with Tyra G is celebrating the month of April and the spring with a twist. We're going to walk backwards and connect with our theme last month, which was, We Are More Than Who We Have Become, where we emphasized our life as a journey, a process, rather than a destination or an event. This month's theme, Stories We Grew Up With, expands our appreciation of who we've become as a result of these stories. Think about that. It's not just the stories that we've been told or the stories that we've seen. It's the stories that we tell ourselves. They impact our behavior, our thoughts, our dreams. You know, ultimately, I believe everyone has a story. In fact, everyone is a story. But let's create our common thought space this month with the following concepts. 
Arthur Richard Kearney. says in his hand our stories are basic to us as food is to eating more so in fact for a while food may make us live but stories are what makes our living our lives worth living author David Denborough, PhD, writes who we are, what we are, what we do are influenced by stories that we tell ourselves. There are many different events in our lives, but only some of them get formed into storytelling of our identities. This is special. What storyline we have about our lives makes a difference in who we are and how we act, but guess what? We get to choose. Through our story, we can pretend to be someone else or someone that's a hero without taking the risk or the expense ourselves. We can even do the impossible, travel through time, explore the universe. Kids play, pretend from a very young age and through various kinds of stories that will never stop. The stories we love to hear, read, watch, and the ones we tell ourselves shape our lives. These stories shape how we interact with each other, even how they interact with us. They shape how we feel about ourselves, what we think, what we're capable of. When I was young, I experienced stories that started out once upon a time and ended with happily ever after. A look in my rearview mirror reminds me that occasionally mommy and daddy made up stories to change my behavior. Well, when I learned to read and could choose my own books as an only child, I loved stories where the central character not only had exciting adventures, but had special friends with whom to share them. Innocently wrapped in my early story choices were hints of who I am now. How I love adventure now, how I love mystery now, and how I love sharing now. Stories shape the decisions we make, everything from the partners we pick to the activities we participate in. If we spin a story that we're not good enough, we may not just take that interview. Take, for example, Vanessa. Vanessa had a hard time paying her rent. She heard the stories and the words of her ex-husband, who often said, you are good for nothing. Then she think of all the mistakes she made in her life and the people she disappointed. However, this isn't true of Vanessa's entire life. This is just one story. In another story, she remembers her sister, her sister, calls Vanessa the kindest person she knows. In high school, Vanessa always took up for her, checked in with her, introduced her, and protect her from other students. Whenever Vanessa feels like a good-for-nothing story, she overshadows her life and calls her sister, and in their laughter together, they have been writing a different headline. 
The great thing about stories is we can tell a different one. Like Vanessa's example, all of us have many stories and everyone has the right to define their experiences and problems in their own words. Now just beyond speculation about what might happen, we use stories to answer the great unanswerable question. Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? What does it mean to be human? Am I enough? Stories bring order and meaning to the chaos and randomness of life. Let me ask you, what if your story began when I was 13 years old, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a cancer that is rarely found in children. Well, after our break, I'll introduce you to the young man to whom this story belongs. And what's special about it, this is only one part of his story. You stay tuned now. And we are back. I want to introduce you to a gentleman that I met in a very special circumstance. It was one of storytelling. And he knows that what we do here is have our guest assume the personality of a human library book. We ask them to introduce themselves in such a way that we want to read every page in their book. So welcome, Aswani Jane, to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Thank you so much, Tyra, for having me. It's a real honor. It's, it's great to have you. Now you're on. you got to prep us for your story. Absolutely. So a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Ashwani Jane. I'm a first-generation American. I'm a son of small business owners. I'm a husband to an amazing social worker. I'm a proud product of public schools. I'm an ambassador to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I'm a former presidential appointee in the Obama White House. I ran for office in 2018, and I'm also a 16-year cancer survivor. Uh, as you noted earlier, I was 13 years old when I was diagnosed and treated. It was the scariest moment of my life, and I had to grow up fast. I also remember sitting in the hospital not knowing if I'm going to live to see tomorrow and finding that people stopped talking with me as a person and they kept talking about me like I was just a name on a piece of paper. So I felt powerless. But when I saw kids younger than me lose their battles, I knew I couldn't give up because it wouldn't be fair to them. So I thought, if I'm lucky enough to beat cancer, then I have an obligation to not only stay positive, 
but to also pay it forward. And so I've spent my entire life trying to give back, trying to engage and empower diverse communities across this country, and also trying to make sure that everyone has equality of opportunity, especially mm. if they feel marginalized. Okay. And this idea actually of giving back actually started with my family a long time ago. Uh, my family immigrated from India to this country with very limited resources. To provide for a family of seven, my grandfather actually became a high school janitor. And then to pay for classes at a community college, my mother worked at a nursing home where she actually made the minimum wage. Uh, after my parents got married, my mother uh, became a contractor for the EPA, while my father struggled to start his own business in an outdoor flea market. And fortunately today, my parents are successful small business owners and proof that the American dream exists. And not only did they teach me the importance of hard work, but they also taught me that if you're able to open that door of opportunity for yourself, mm -hmm. you have an obligation to keep it open for those behind you. Because when we all do better, we each do better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, you know, I can't let that just go. <laughs> I can't let that just go. Um, what I want to first of all, talk about is a phrase you use, mm -hmm. equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more, what that means to you mm -hmm. and how, how it drives mm -hmm. your passion? Yeah, absolutely. I feel a lot of us, whether you've been through some sort of healthcare experience like I have, like you have, um, you know, any sort of experience that makes you feel marginalized, makes you feel like you don't have a seat at the table, makes you feel that you're somehow at a disadvantage from your neighbors, from your friends, from other family members. Um, sometimes you feel that you're not given the same equality of opportunity. Uh, I feel a lot of us are, are born equal to some extent, but we're put in situations in our community um, where we don't have the same opportunities to grow and be successful. Right, right, uh, right. And so in my opinion, whether it's working, you know, my work with nonprofits or even working uh, in government mm -hmm. um, to enact policy changes, is trying to figure out how do you level the playing field? And, and empower those people by connecting them to different resources, um, connecting them to, um, to other policies that might enhance their own lives and allow them to move themselves out of poverty or out of some sort of difficult circumstance. And in doing so, you know, again, it's not necessarily creating equality of outcome. It's okay. creating equality of opportunity for them to make a better then life for themselves. Then it's up to them. Correct. Up to them. And I think that's important that we emphasize personal accountability. Yeah. Okay, now I've got three scenarios. Uh -huh. I love these. Okay, <laughs> all right. When you and your family came, mm -hmm. we're talking about the number seven, mm -hmm. which is a good number to talk about. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about humility mm -hmm. and the willingness to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about daddy going from janitor mm -hmm. to small business owner, mommy uh, going from one stage to being with EPA. Mm -hmm. What did that feel like? with you mm -hmm. as how old were you then what was that like what did that feel like yeah so you know i was i was born and raised uh in maryland um but seeing my parents go through the struggles they've gone through yes um, sacrificing so much to not only move to a different country where they didn't know the language they didn't have a lot of resources or connections right um you know seeing them uh be resilient work hard not complain about their circumstance yes. um but also never making me or, or my sister feel like we were different from other people making us never feel that even if we didn't have that much it didn't feel like we didn't have that much you know i think what you just said 
I have heard more than mm-hmm. several times. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up in public housing. I had no idea mm. we were poor. Yeah. You know, when many of the families get together, and we thought we were having a picnic. It mm. was that you had the bread, you had the meat, yeah. et cetera. Sure. Okay, so knowing that your parents were of such strong spirit and fiber, mm. what was the best <laughs> advice you can remember that your mom gave you or your dad gave you? Uh, I feel like they're giving me advice uh, every day, even even oh. now. They're they're my best friends. They're my closest mentors. Um, but I think the the one thing that I really learned from them, and they mentioned this at the dinner table every single day, is, you know, we are so blessed um, to have the lives that we're living right now. We're blessed that we have a successful business. We're blessed that you and your sister can go to good schools and and you know have a good life and travel the world. Um, but you know, you cannot just live in your own little bubble. Correct. Um, and you know, you have to look out for those around you, whether it's a friend, a neighbor, mm-hmm. another relative. Mm-hmm. Um, people are going through a lot worse than we have, and people may, may not have had the same opportunities that we've had. So the best way to better our own success mm-hmm. is to make sure we're humble, we have empathy, uh, and we are giving back uh, as much as we can, whether it's donating food at a homeless shelter, mm-hmm. whether it's just giving a smile to someone who looks like they're having a bad day. Um, any way that we can give back, it will help the community around us. It will show our appreciation for the things we have. And we also believe in karma. Um, and so it actually betters our karma, in our opinion, to do good unto others uh, because then it'll come back and you know, help us out even more in the future. And I want you, because we have an international audience, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. talk about how karma plays into your life every day. I, I know yeah. what you're saying. Of course. Yes. Yeah, so, so karma is the, the idea, the concept, the notion that um, whatever you put into the world, it's going to come back to you. So if you are you know, a mean person, if you're acting bad to others, then eventually life is going to pay you back and you may not uh, have the same success or opportunities that you have. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if you're positive, if you give back to someone and do it selflessly without any expectations, mm-hmm. then the universe, the world, God will see that and try to pay you back to some degree later on in the future. Um, and so what that does is it allows you to have perspective. It allows you to stay humble no matter what your success may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows you to understand your, you know, your bigger purpose in life and, and understand that, you know, we're all one piece of a lot of moving pieces in this world. More so now than ever. Exactly. Because yeah. science has catapulted us mm-hmm. into a point of connection where it's not always good. Yeah. yeah. It's not always good. Um, I love, uh, when you said if it's nothing more than a smile, Mm. I have learned three things as I move to this season of my life. And everybody laughs when I said I'm at the end of the toilet paper roll. So listen, this is what I've learned. (laughs) But I learned two things, visiting nursing homes, the power of touch Mm. to someone that you may think doesn't even hear or see you Mm -hmm. and the power of a smile. Mm -hmm. And the power of the word love. And what I've learned is love does. Mm -hmm. It's an active thing. But I'm not going to let you slip by and mention President Obama's administration. (laughs) You knew that, right? Of course. Uh, Of course. Okay. So take us us there. How how did you manage Mm -hmm. to become affiliated? What exactly you did? What it feels like now? we were talking before the show, and I really want to get to winning and mm-hmm. not winning. Yeah. 
Okay, so why don't you take us to, did you wake up one morning and say, you know, I think I'd like to be a part of the Obama administration. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you were. What happened? It was I, I wish that was the case. Um, no, I had no idea that I would have the opportunities I've had to. So, you know, again, growing up, understanding the, the purpose of giving back and helping other people, doing work with nonprofits, mm-hmm. um, and seeing my family, you know, run a small business. Um, you know, growing up, I never thought that going into politics could be a career path or something that I, as a person of color, as a young person, could contribute to. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, after my chemo was done, um, I started volunteering for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Okay. Sharing my story. And what that did is it was kind of a healing process. And it allowed me to empower myself and empower other kids who may be going through something difficult. So that feeling of empowerment kind of saved my life. And fast forward a couple years after my treatments were done, I'm a senior in high school and I, you know, I'm walking by the student activism night and some people from the Obama campaign were there and they're trying to get students to be active. And, you know, again, I didn't know who this person was. This is February of 2007. So he had just announced. Nobody knew who he was. Right. Um, But what they said is, hey, do you want to be a leader in your high school? Do you want to take these uh, policy issues of of affordable health care and and try to empower your fellow students. So the same feeling of empowerment that I got with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, I got with this Obama campaign. So I signed up, I just showed up and said, okay, let me try what this is about. My family said, hey, you know, I don't know what this is, but if you feel like you're passionate about it, if you feel like you can connect with the issues and, and be a leader in your high school, go for it. So I just showed up and politics is all about showing up as, as much of life is. So I came up to the campaign office, uh, I did any assignments they had me do and then I liked it. I, I enjoyed the people I met, and I showed up the next day, and then the next day after that. And after a while, I got more leadership roles. I got more leadership opportunities. And I connected not only with the mission of the organization and the campaign, I connected with a candidate who I saw looked more like me than anybody else, was talking about issues in a real grassroots way, and allowed a nobody like myself to really take ownership of, of this operation. Uh, and then I worked my, my way up. I showed humility. I was willing to do anything and everything. Um, and I eventually got a job in the White House after the second uh, campaign. Uh, so in 2000, at the end of 2013, I got a call from the White House and said, hey, we want you to, to work for us uh, in this official capacity. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Wait. wait, wait <laughs> stop. Because I know I'm not the only one. Sure. Role, role play that phone call for me. So actually, so uh, I was working uh, at, a, at a political nonprofit uh, okay. at that time. Okay. And a lot of my bosses and coworkers had connections to folks who were actually inside the White House. So I didn't apply for it. They recommended my name saying, hey, this is a person who's doing good work, who believes in the president. Um, if there's an opening, you should call him. So I get a call. It's the fall wait, of 2013. Wait, wait, wait. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> okay. Now, hello. <laughs> I'm like, hi, this is Ashwani. Who is this? And they said, oh, uh, this is so-and-so calling from the White House. I actually hung up. Oh, didn't you? I you thought up. it was a robocall? I thought it was a robocall. I was like, who's going to be calling me from the White House? Because no one warned me. No one gave me a heads up. So, yes, I actually hung up some, a call from someone at the White House. I love it. And then a half hour goes by. I get a call from my boss at the time. Okay. And he says, did you just get a call from someone at the White House? I said, oh, that was real? He said, yes, I had told them to call you. They just let me know. <laughs> that you hung They're going to call you back. Do not hang up the phone. Because, <laughs> again, when the White House calls, it says unknown. Yes, yes. And so you don't know what it is. And so then I was, I was like freaking out. I said, oh, my God, this is it for me. I, I lost this opportunity. But luckily, they ended up calling back, and we had a good laugh about it. 
and I apologized. And then they just told me that, hey, we've heard great things about you from the community. Um, we have this potential job opening up. Um, we would love for you to come in and do an informational interview. And uh, two okay, days so later. Okay, so wait a minute. How are you feeling now? So I'm, I'm really nervous. I don't think I've ever been more nervous in my life. Uh, this is my dream job, my yes. dream organization. Yes. Um, did you prep? What did you do? Oh, yeah. So I talked to all my bosses, all my colleagues, all my mentors, um, and I just kind of refreshed my story. I, I looked at my resume. I, I just did all the stuff that, you know, any any good candidate should do. Yes. Um, and then I prayed. I got with my family. I was super nervous. And the morning of my interview, I woke up. Uh, the interview was at 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. in D.C. At, at the White House. I woke up that morning. <laughs> at, at the White House. <laughs> no yeah. big deal. Yeah. I didn't get sleep that night. I woke up at 4 a.m. I took a shower and I just started prepping and I prayed and I sat with my family at the breakfast table just saying, you know, let's let's pray together. Let's yeah. send some positivity. Yes. I got to the interview two hours early um, <laughs> and I just waited in my car and I just kind of sat there. I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, what else am I going to do? What else am I going to do? Um, I listened to some music, kind of got me a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. And then I go into this this historic building. Yes. Um, and then I go in for my first interview, and I'm interviewing with people that uh, I've I, I've seen on the news that I've respected, I've looked up to from a campaign standpoint. Um, you know, these are political celebrities, um, behind the scenes celebrities that I've admired. And, uh, you know, I just I just show my humility, and and I think they appreciated the fact that I was a little green. You know, I. I I didn't take it for granted. Um, and then I just share, I started by sharing my story. And I think the lesson is, you know, for anyone who's applying to any job or anything that they feel that they want to be a part of, um, start with a place of humbleness and humility and then just try to connect with the mission of the organization. And that's what I did. I just connected, not with the job, not with the fact that, oh, I want to work in this White House. I just said, hey, this is my story. This is what I've come from. This is what I've done. These are the functional skill sets that I have, and this is how I think I can add value to your team. Absolutely. Uh, and they noticed, they liked it, and uh, then they said, okay, they'll call me back. So over the course of two weeks, I interviewed with 14 different people at for 14 this one job? Different, different times for this one job. After the 14th interview, they told me they loved me. I was one of the final two candidates, and I did not get that job. So oh, then, now we got we got a story now. Yeah, so so I I got this call and you know I'm looking forward to it. I'm like, okay, I went well, to no, fourteen come on interviews. Now. I've told you, yeah. you know, we love you. You're one of the final, and I'm so sorry. It what was, happened in your head? It was devastating. It was okay. heartbreaking, right? Okay. I wanted to stay positive. Yes, but fourteen interviews is a lot. Yeah, and you get your hopes up, and you think, oh my god, I just blew my shot. Like this was my one shot to work in, in my dream job in life. This is never going to come again. And I don't know, did I mess up? Am I not good enough? Okay. Right? Put a comma. Yeah. All right. This is for the listening audience. Yeah. Now, Ashwani doesn't know how closely I was listening to his words. Okay. He just stopped with, am I not good enough? All right. What I want to bring back to light is three words he says. Nobody like myself. Am I a nobody? Mm -hmm. Okay, I want him and I want anybody listening, delete that. Mm. You come into this world as somebody. Mm. Okay? You immediately, you have worth. Mm. And you have potential and you have strength and you have, get rid of that. Everybody, mm. get rid of that. But the other thing 
that I want to push that you said is so exciting is be present, Mm -hmm. show up, be present. And the, well, I got a lot of things. (laughs) Then the thing about connecting to a mission. I know there are many of us that don't have the luxury Mm -hmm. to find our quote ideal job. We have to work in order to do other things. Well, what we want to do then, like you said, the humility, and that's hard too sometimes. Mm-hmm. When you're doing something just to pay the rent, yeah. just to pay this, or just to buy food, mm-hmm. we can't say, oh, be grateful right. and just brush it off. We have to understand for you, yeah. inside your heart and mind, this is taking a lot yeah. to get up and do every day. Yeah. Um, then, this is so exciting. You mm-hmm. said, yeah, no. When the White House calls, it says unknown i just want that to resonate with some people mm. i'm not answering i'm not. when the white house calls you look down on your phone and mm. it's going to say unknown mm. now i heard one story i know there are more and we're going to them <laughs> this is about stories yeah. but tell us okay the first story from that experience though yeah. we'll do the white house bucket yeah was you felt rejected yeah you thought, oh, my God, this is the only job in the world for me. Mm-hmm. The, forget the fact that you're a, a puppy mm-hmm. in life. Right. You know, <laughs> All of a sudden you're going, it's over. <laughs> I can never do anything else. Yep. 14 interviews, I'm wiped out. What are your parents saying to you? What stories are they telling you now? So every single day they were always encouraging me. Okay. Um, when I came back from an interview, I kind of analyzed what did I think I did right? What did I think I do wrong? Uh-huh. How can I learn? Uh-huh. And they just kept saying, this is a learning experience. Uh, it's okay. If, they always said to me every single day, don't worry if you don't get this job. Just just keep at it. Right. Don't think about tomorrow. Just focus on right now. Right? That was and wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So I'm hearing, here you are, you're in the middle on one side is the White House. Mm-hmm. On the other side is your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, three things. Family is important. Absolutely. And family can make us who we are. Yep. Apparently, the stories in your household, even when it's bad, it's good because you're here to experience it. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. And they are telling you, they may not be saying, I love, I love, I love. What they may be saying mm-hmm. or what they are saying is, it's okay. Yep. Whichever way you come, we love you. Yeah. Love does, right? Exactly. Okay, in the White House, they're go- you're going through all these things. You've yeah. prepped, and they're going, oh, he's okay. But you know that other guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you don't hear this. Right. What you hear is the decision. Yeah. Now, you're young. Yeah. You hear a decision. Yeah. And this is your dream job. Yeah. What story do you tell yourself mm-hmm. then? Yeah. What are you saying to you? I know what you said on the, you know. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I said in the course of one minute, two different things, right? So the first thing that I did was to myself, I said, yes, I'm not, maybe I'm not good enough or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this field isn't for me. Uh, maybe I'm not meant to, to, be, uh, to be there. Um, and, and, you know, let's just forget about everything. And then right after I say that, I say, you know what? I'm still very fortunate. I'm still very blessed. I still have a great support system. Um, and I've been through worse, you know, I, I've been to a situation where I didn't know if I was going to live to see tomorrow. Perspective. Perspective. Okay. Perspective was huge for me. And every time 
I started self-doubting myself or mm-hmm. feeling negative. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it was hard, but then I just was able to focus and look back at what I've been through. And that mm-hmm. perspective allowed me to say, you know what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this kind of sucks right now. Um, I want it to go better, but it's not the end of the world. Um, all I got to do is just focus one day at a time. And if this door doesn't open for me, mm-hmm. uh, I know God has a plan for me and there's going to be more doors that open. And again, whether I look at my life, whether I look at the lives of those around me, mm-hmm. the other kids who I was getting treated alongside when I, when I was going through my cancer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or even my parents' journey, um, anytime one door closed, sh- you know, soon enough, something else opened and it actually ended up being better than what we were expecting. And that's, that's hard to see. Mm-hmm. And it's not just jobs and yeah. relationships. Yeah. That's hard to see. Yeah. And I used to, I was a very insecure teenager. Mm-hmm. I was tall. I had red hair. And, you know, it's just, and both of my parents were educators. Who's going to date mm. Mr. <laughs> Garlington's daughter? Come on. <laughs> All right. So I lived with that. And I, my self taught mm-hmm. was, I'm not enough. Mm. okay but then life will show you what not enough can look like yeah. and then you realize oh yeah after you survive what you thought you were not enough for yep. then you have another script yeah and so what i would this is something i just thought of right now yeah. what story were you telling your peers yeah. as you were going through this because you know you were young they yeah. were all up in your face man <laughs> you know like what was it like? Yeah. Okay, who'd you talk to? Did you yep. get an autograph? Is he really this <laughs> way? Do they really do? What are those girls like? You know. So sure. what what kind of things did what stories did you tell yeah. while you were in the process to your friends? Yeah. So um, you know, I I think it the good thing is I'm very blessed and fortunate to have even at that time so many good friends uh, and and family members, cousins, relatives, siblings. Oh, there's a gang of you, huh? Yeah, there's, there's a whole posse of us. Um, but you know, everyone was really supportive, and so when I got that first call, and uh, even when I when I was going through the interview process, uh-huh. I would let them know, you know, like, hey, this is what happened today. I'm hoping to hear back. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And yeah, they wanted to hear the stories. How did the building look like from the inside? Yeah. You know, are the people there, are they actual gods and goddesses? <laughs> like, do people just float on hoverboards throughout the thing? Because, you know, it's, it's the White House. You didn't have this concept of what happens behind the scenes. And they, and they reinforce that because when they call you, it says unknown. Unknown, uh, exactly. <laughs> so you really don't know anything. Um, and so that curiosity and that yeah, excitement yeah. was there. So um, you were just generating stories every day. Every single day, just letting them know my experience and letting them know kind of, oh, I was really nervous. I was really excited. Um, this is what that person said. This is what I saw in the hallway. Or I saw the secretary of, of this agency yeah. walking in the hallway. I saw this senator walking in the hallway. I mean, these people in the White House were just walking around. People that you look up to, you hear about in the news. Um, you know, that building is just full of history and full of smart, talented, incredible people um, so it was just an honor to actually be interviewed in the first place. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so it, it was exciting. And again, the, when I didn't get that first job, okay. um, just like what my parents said, uh, luckily a lot of my friends, you know, they told me the same thing. They said, you know what, don't worry about it. Uh, you'll get them next time or, okay, that just means something's better for you. Um, or, and then you also had some, some of my friends, you know, started, 
saying some negative things about the the interviewers, right? Of saying, course. Oh, those people are jerks. They don't know. They don't know what they're missing out. Right. Um, so try That's to the way we me. encourage one another. Exactly. Sometimes. It's their fault. Exactly. You, you know, hey, what do they know? Yeah. And and the nice thing was uh, my boss at the time who actually recommended me for that job. Uh-huh. So he was obviously keeping me, uh, you know, helping me throughout the process. Right. So when I didn't get it, um, he actually sat me down and he kind of... Um, you know, like a coaching session with me for about a half hour uh-huh. that same day saying, okay, let's walk through what are all the things you said, didn't say, how can we improve it for the next time? Right. Um, and don't worry, like it's going to work out. And I think hearing it from a boss, which is kind of a different relationship than a family member or a relative right, or right, friend. Right, right, right. The distance, uh-huh. You know, I kind of heard it more internally um, and I connected with that message more and I actually felt a little bit more confident in myself and my abilities when I heard this person who I also looked up to and who wasn't kind of, he didn't have to say all these nice things to me. Um, he, he could have been more critical for him to still say, hey, you did everything you could have done. Well, uh, how about this? Your boss is encouraging you to go somewhere else. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's a good point. I didn't think about that until yeah, I Yeah, yeah. Remember, and yeah. he is your advocate. Yeah. That's a good boss. That's a great boss. Yeah. And that's what bosses, in my mind, should be poised to do. Exactly. Is to elevate those whom they manage. Exactly. Okay, so now, all right. Mm. All right, chapter two. Yeah. All right, so uh, we have the, what you call rejection, but what happened next? So a month goes by. Okay. Uh, and I'm still, uh, you know, keeping out an opportunity, you know, eyes for opportunities. But the, but the weird thing is with the White House, again, unknown, they don't post a lot of their openings. You don't know when there's going to be a job available right, right, or right, anything. Right. But I had I, I kept the contact information for everyone that I met and interviewed with. Okay. And so I just kept in touch with them. Um, after two weeks of me getting that rejection, I just kept in touch saying, hey, you know, if there's anything else I can do, please let me know. Right, We'd right. We'd love to meet up for coffee just to stay in touch. Okay. Okay. Um, and at, after the end of the month, uh, I get a call back from uh, one of the people that I had interviewed with. Okay. And they called me back. And this time I picked up the phone because I saw, I saw a no and I was like, oh, this must be the White House. <laughs> so I picked it up and they said, listen, uh, we appreciate all that you had to offer. It yes. was not about you. It's just the other person has slightly more set of skill sets for that particular job. Yes. We have another job opening up. And we would love, if you want, to come back and do a set of interviews for this particular job that I think you might be a better fit for. And so I said, absolutely, I'm there. And again, a week later, I go through that process. This time I go through nine interviews. Oh. So still nine interviews. But now imagine you're becoming the ultimate interviewee. And that is actually what I thought to myself. Because now this time, the second time around, Mm -hmm. I didn't actually have the expectation of getting the job. In fact, what I said to myself was, you know what? I know I'm not going to get this job. So instead, why don't I, number one, try to make more connections here. Yes. Number two, let me brush up even more on my interviewing skills. Yes. And number three, I'm just going to take it one day at a time. And there you go. we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went at it with a different mindset. And sure enough, I think what that, what that allowed me to do is actually be a little bit more confident, mm-hmm. more comfortable in my own skin, mm-hmm. uh, and allow me to actually give better answers. Because then I'm more, I'm more accommodating, more flexible. And uh, a week later, after the nine interviews, <laughs> I got a call. I still actually have that voicemail saved in I my phone. I was going to ask you. I still have that voicemail. And my, my, that person called me back and said, uh, hi, this is so-and-so from the White House. Uh, you did a great job. We want to let you know I would love to extend a conditional offer to you to work in the White House uh, for this position. Okay, now, hang up the phone. What's the next thing you do besides scream? I cry. 
All right. The very first thing I did after I hung up the phone, I was by myself and I just cried. Um, it was, uh, I felt really grateful that yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they believed in me. Yeah. Um, I felt validated. Yeah. I felt like all the work I've done up to that point, because it was really hard work, um, I felt like it paid off. Um, I also felt uh, humility because I knew that this opportunity was a once in a lifetime opportunity that many people would love to have but don't get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt thankful for everyone in my life at that point, my boss, my friends, my family that were encouraging me. And I felt like I had did them proud. So how did you, you said you were alone. How did you announce it? Oh, as, as soon as I, I... I mean, you know, not yeah. dancing through the streets. <laughs> yeah. Close to that, though. Yeah, so so with my family, at least, um, you know, after I composed myself, mm-hmm. um, then I just let out a big scream, and I was like, Mom, Dad, Anu, who's my sister, uh-huh. I said, come, come, come here. I got something to tell you guys. I got something to tell you guys. And then I sat down, and I just said, I got a job in the White House. And they were freaking out. And my dad, he, he's, he's like a, a funny guy. So for him, the first thing that he says out of his mouth was not, oh, I'm proud of you. Oh, that's going to be such a great opportunity. He says, does that mean you, you're going to get free parking in D.C.? No, he did not. <laughs> yeah, he did. But you know what? <laughs> After what I did last night in D.C. in the hour and a half com- oh, commute, man. I would value that. It, I would value that as much as a job. It's a hot ticket. So, oh, my So goodness. for him, uh, obviously he was joking, but I was like, yeah, actually, that's a good point. I, I do get free parking in D.C. now. Um, but no, they were super proud of me. And again, right after they kind of shared the celebration, they said, okay, now focus on what you need to learn before you start the job. Yes. Talk to your bosses, your mentors, talk to people so that you start off on day one in the best foot possible. Right. Um, don't get arrogant about it and make sure every single day to check yourself because when you're in that, what did they mean by that? Check yourself. So they've seen, and I've seen this also, whether you're looking on TV, other people that we've met throughout the journey who've been successful in business or whatever success they've had. Sometimes it gets to your head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's this, there's this level of arrogance that you can easily develop when you're in those positions of power. And they knew that, okay, if now that I have this opportunity to work at the white house, um, I can't lose myself in that process and in the ego of my own self or in the job. Um, the fact that, yes, I'm, I'm having meetings with the president does not mean that I'm now you know, suddenly going to forget about everything else around me and the people who, of whom I'm working for. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a public service job. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. doing it for yourself. You're doing it to advance the people around you. Um, and and you know, just to keep my head down and, and be positive and, and work hard. Um, and um, so, yeah, so they taught me that, and, and, and then I, I got to work. And so I started meeting the right people I needed to meet with. Because um, you had a parking space. Because I had a parking space, exactly. <laughs> but for our international <laughs> listeners, you have no idea about traffic in Washington, D.C. Yep, yep. There are times when it's like you're in a parking lot. You're yeah. not going anywhere. Yep. Bring good music. Listen to Siri. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, all right. We are moving in the time. Mm-hmm. We are moving the time forward. Yeah. We are today yeah. sitting here. I want you to tell me the story mm-hmm. of who you are two years from now. So who I am two years from now, I'm someone who um, is still positive, okay. st- still humble, mm-hmm. um, who uh, I just got married four months ago. So oh my hopefully goodness. in two years. Congratulations. Exactly. Thank you so much. 
Um, so in two years from now, I'm hoping uh, that my wife and I will start our own family. Yes. Um, you know, we'll we'll have a kid hopefully by that point, maybe two. Um, and you know, I'll I'll learn not only more about being a even better husband, a better uh, person in 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 my community, but hopefully by that point, a, a father and a good father. Um, when you change that diaper, you're not going to turn up your nose. You're going to say, oh, <laughs> I am so blessed, you little wiggly thing down there. <laughs> exactly. So so from a prof- from a personal standpoint, um, I hope to see myself like that in two years. And then okay. on a professional standpoint, um, you know, hoping that I can, uh, in two years, have worked for an organization that I believe in the mission mm-hmm. and that I'm actually able to add real value Mm-hmm. to my community and the people around me and people that I've been fighting for for most of my adult life, mm-hmm. but now in a way that's Who are those people? Let's, let's let the audience know. Who are those people and what organizations, uh, nonprofits you've yeah. touched? Yeah, so um, most of my adult life, in addition to my work in the Obama administration, I've been working with groups like the American Cancer Society, mm-hmm. uh, groups like the Make-A-Wish Foundation, mm-hmm. um, and then groups uh, like uh, you know the Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless and, and different organizations that are helping people either at the policy level or at the nonprofit level, who um, people who feel marginalized, people who are homeless, people who are food insecure, people who don't have access to good quality education, people who don't have affordable health care or health insurance, mm-hmm. uh, people who are victims of gun violence or who are survivors of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, those individuals uh, and, and young people, people who feel like you know, they may not have a seat at the table of power. Uh, right. They may not be able to make policy changes at a bigger level. Um, you know, anyone who feels uh, not listened to. Okay. Um, I've spent my entire life working on policies and working to build these coalitions with leaders in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors and find new models of collaboration and bring those people to the table. Um, and so right now I'm actually in between jobs and I'm looking for work either at a nonprofit or some sort of political consulting firm that works on a host of issues uh, and, and work in a position where it's some sort of public engagement, some sort of community relations role, mm-hmm. uh, which is similar to the work I've done in the past. Okay. Um, but I'm looking to do that again and looking to do more of it. So I'm hearing you say, in my ideal job, yeah. I'm able to still connect. Yep. I'm looking at service to marginalized populations. Yeah. Uh, I'm mired, of course, in uh, an advocate for cancer and yep. make a wish. Absolutely. Because I've been there. I know that. Yep. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking at the nonprofit space, yeah. but at the same time, you're comfortable in policy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one thing. Do you mentor currently? I, I do. I do. Um, there's a, a couple of organizations. Um, actually, when I was working in the Obama White House, um, I was actually one of the inaugural mentors for the My Brother's Keeper initiative. Now, what does that mean? So, <laughs> Because uh, there are a lot of people that didn't follow that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was a program that President Obama started a couple of years ago to help uh, you know individuals who worked in the White House at the time mentor young uh, boys of color specifically who were in the D.C. area who are living in, you know, quote unquote, bad neighborhoods. Right, right, uh, right. You know, people who may not see success success in their lives. Yes. And just let them know, hey, like I was like you to some degree. And um, there is a, a, a land of opportunity for you. There is a career path for you. Um, you just have to focus on X, Y and Z and be able to communicate your skill sets and stay on the right path. What were the barriers? Um Mentoring to me is a transference. Yeah. 
of uh, the positive side of life. It is the ability to take a risk mm-hmm. and love someone yeah. through whatever. Uh, it's uh, being constructive and not judgmental and tearing down. Yeah. So uh, knowing what your population was, yeah. what were the greatest barriers you had you faced in being an effective mentor in that program? Yeah, so a lot of the, the students, the kids the, that signed up, um, you know, they – they didn't see themselves uh, in these positions of power, whether mm-hmm. a successful politician, lawyer, doctor, business person, you name mm-hmm. it. Um, they didn't see themselves as, okay, they can also do that. Um, they thought oh, that was only reserved for special people who have a perfect resume mm-hmm. or who come from this kind of a background. Right, right, right. Um, so, so they came at these meetings that we had with a sense of um, a little bit of apathy, a little bit of, Oh, like I'm just here just because I need to be here, but I'm I'm not going to learn anything from this experience. And what you guys are saying, it doesn't connect with my life. You don't know what I've been through. Right. And you don't know that people like me don't succeed. So once again, we're talking about life as a process. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I ask you to do something in preparation for our time together. And uh, one of the things that we found fun on the show is having our guest write a letter to their younger selves and what usually happens is a reflection and an evaluation in the process of writing did you have that same kind of experience it was uh, it was a great great experience for sure okay well let's see what you had to say absolutely so this is a letter to my younger self uh, and it goes like this dear young Ashwani this will take a second to register but this is a letter from your future 29 year old self of all the times I could have gotten back to, I chose this particular time because after this moment, your life will change forever. And I want you to know that it will be okay. There you are with your big rabbit teeth, wearing clothes that are a little too baggy and glasses that keep slipping off of your nose. You're 13 and recently started eighth grade. You live a good life. You live in one of the most diverse and wealthiest areas in the country. You have a lot of great teachers and friends that you get to see every day. You've been able to travel the world, and you have a beautiful family that you sometimes take for granted. But in a few months, you're going to be diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, cancer. Now, luckily, you're going to beat it, but it will be painful. Before you know it, you're going to see your parents cry for the first time. You're going to see friends and family come in and out of your house, bringing baskets of gifts and boxes of tissues. You won't be able to go to class or hang out with your friends outside of your home anymore. You'll be stuck with needles and sit on cold hospital beds as you get scanned by big and scary machines. Mm. You'll go through numerous painful surgeries that will seem to have no end in sight. You will lose all your hair, feel incredibly weak, and may even lose faith in God. You will feel guilt for causing your family so much sadness You will feel jealous of your friends for being able to go to the movies, even though you can't. Mm. You'll feel undeserving of all the love you're getting from those around you. Mm. And you'll even face a few moments where you might want to end it all. But during one of your last chemo sessions, you're going to be sitting in a hospital room alongside nine other children. They are not only going to be younger than you, but undergo harsher treatments and for longer periods of time. Mm. And that is the moment you will realize how lucky and blessed you still are. You will learn from them the importance of optimism, 
that no matter how bad things are, we each have the power to make things worse. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it is often within our own power to make them better and to find the opportunity in every difficulty. So this is not the end of your life, rather this is just the beginning. You will soon learn that this experience is making you a stronger person, a more resilient human being who is destined for greatness. Your struggles will teach you how to be grateful and thankful for every new breath you're about to take. Mm. You will have more empathy for those around you and you will find great comfort, strength, and healing by dedicating your life to helping those less fortunate than you. You will start performing charity magic shows for kids at the hospital. You'll start volunteering and sharing your story with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And you will get involved in politics to try to make policy changes that engage and empower your community mm. on a larger scale. You will even work for a president of the United States of America. So please keep patient, keep positive, I promise it'll be worth it in the end. Hugs from your future self. I love that. I love that. <laughs> My heart is smiling. Uh, well, it's time for our doggy bag. We leave each week a doggy bag filled with spirit and positivity, confirmation, and love. I actually have a ball. I love it when men and women get together enough to look and walk behind the words, giving each other permission to expo expose their gifts of imperfection without judgment. Frankly speaking, is our time and space to help heal, educate, and encourage each other into the best version of ourselves, no matter where we are in our journey. In the process, we will redefine traditional perceptions about winning, beauty, making our mark, making our distance. I'm going to continue sharing the power of last month's offering in our spiritual doggy bag. It includes a note from love, also known as God, offered by author Glennon Doyle Melton. And I quote, Stop holding your breath. Breathe. There's enough. I have created an abundance of acceptance, attention, recognition, joy, peace, money, energy, clothes, food. I will never leave you without enough. There's nothing to be afraid of. No feeling, no circumstance, no person. These things come and they go. And you can live through them without running, hiding, numbing, or hurting another. Did you know this? There has never been anything wrong with you. Not one day. You are exactly who you were meant to be right now as you are. You are not to be ashamed. You punish yourself, but you have no reason to be punished. You can stop now. You are free. The essence of you is love. Do not worry. Come out of hiding. Be still and know and then help others to know. Since you carry me with you, me is love, me is God, you know what to do. You always know the right thing to do. 
What would love do? Then get quiet and I, I inside of you will tell you. You have been listening to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G on Radio Fairfax. My inspirational, positive guest, survivor, Ashwani Jane, has been happy to share the authenticity and the vulnerability of both sickness and health. Be reminded that you are more than you who, who you've become. Your stories have power to make or break a spirit. Ashwani, tell people how to reach you should they want to continue to listen to your story. Absolutely. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Ashwani Jane Moco, M-O-C-O. Uh, or you can fi- find me on Facebook. Uh, again, Ashwani Jane, J-A-I-N. Uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Reach out. He's got a lot to give. Your seat at the table is guaranteed. I look forward to next time because I want you to know I am listening. Until then, treat yourself like someone you love. This is me, Tyra G. Living, living intentionally. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>